All right, we'll get started. Um, welcome to Catechesis. I'm David Tollefson. Um, I've been going to this church for about two years now. Um, and when I heard what the theme was of this catechesis, I talked with Matt and had a kind of off idea, but I think I can connect it um, to it. Cause we fit Wagner in. We, can... we fit Wagner in, so we can fit the stars, right? Um, and I'm taking it from Psalm 19, which many of you may have heard, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And then I like what this um, Book of Common Prayer 79 translates is their story goes out through all the earth. And so, like, the stars are telling a story. And it's from that that I've taken and connected to this um, very um, appropriate weekend, actually, which we will get to. Um, but I'm David Tollefson. I, um, I grew up in Wheaton, um, to give you some context. As All Souls tries to find that way between the like Anglo-Catholic and Evangelical side, um, I grew up in two churches, St. John Lutheran down the way, which was more the Catholic side, and Wheaton Evangelical Free Church, which was the evangelical side. So I kind of fit really well here as we <laughs> go through that. Um, I went out to Arizona for school, and there I got my degree in physics and astronomy. Um, and, and now I'm back here teaching at Wheaton Academy. I'm their physics teacher, but I still have a heart for astronomy. And I've done a number of summer camps where um, I've been able to point out the stars and the constellations to campers. And through that study, I've learned some cool things and how they tie into the church calendar. Um, and so when it was the authors and how they kind of relate to the church calendar, I wanted to bring forth how the stars kind of lead us through the church year as well. Um, so that's where we're going with that. Um, Taking it from Job 38, the Maseroth in their season. Um, Maseroth is based, the Hebrew word for their zodiac. Um, so that's the Lord brings forth the zodiac in their season. Is it down? Goes There we go. Um, to kind of set this weekend, yesterday was St. Matthew's Day. That will become important later um, as we celebrate the, gospel, the writing of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, today, or tomorrow, actually tomorrow at three in the morning, is the autumnal equinox, and the harvest moon has just passed. So we're on a very particular weekend. That's the first day of fall. And in the Orthodox calendar, um, which is what my talk kind of based on and then we'll go off of, is they celebrate the appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah, which is on September 23rd, right around the autumnal equinox. Um, and so this is the feast I'm kind of going to anchor on, but we're going to go off from there a little bit. Um, and so to start, I have a prayer that relates to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I thought that we could read it all together um, in our church. So if you would join with me. Rejoice, O thou barren one, who hadst not born until now. For lo, in all truth, thou hast conceived the lamp of the sun, and he shall send forth his light over all the earth, which is afflicted with blindness. Dance, O Zacharias, and cry out with great boldness, 
the one to be born is the blessed prophet of God most high. O God, who alone knits all infants in the womb, you chose improbable servants, old and childless, to conceive and parent the forerunner of Christ, and in so doing, demonstrated again your strength in weakness. Grant us who are as unlikely and unworthy as Zechariah and Elizabeth the opportunity to love and serve you according to your good and gracious will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Um, so, as we're going to talk about astronomy, uh, Matt kind of brought up the idea too, to kind of get everyone on the same page. So the first part of this will be to orient ourselves to the sky a little bit, why things work the way they work. Um, may feel a little bit like class, since I'm a teacher. Um, and if you have questions, please raise your hand. I enjoy questions as a teacher, so you won't be interrupting my flow. Um, oh, there we go. Um, the, this was from a, um, I don't even know, Greek Orthodox site that has kind of the feast day and then that was at the end. This is, um, September 5th is when Zechariah and Elizabeth are, um, commemorated. So that was from their day, um, to kind of fit along with that. Cool. There we go. Right off the bat. Um, so, introduction to astronomy, Genesis 1.14, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. We like to focus on the days and years and seasons, um, but sometimes they come out to be for signs, and we've lost kind of a bit of that since we have so much light pollution, we don't see all the signs um, all the time, but um, we can still see how they're working together. So some orientation, you have to imagine the Earth inside of this great celestial sphere um, where the, equa the equator kind of gets mapped onto the celestial sphere, and so you have the celestial equator. And all the stars would be kind of like pointed around um, this, so you have to think of it as the flat firmament. Um, we know it's all farther away than actually, but this is how we kind of orient ourselves. The sky kind of gives us this map um, the North Pole points up to the North Star, um, so the North Star would be up here and everything would be spinning around that North Star. Um, so the North Star never moves um, in general. Um, and uh, yeah, everything goes around there. So that kind of sets us with the celestial, equal, um, celestial sphere. Um, how the Sun orients itself with this is with the 23 degree tilt of the Earth, um, you have half the year it's over here, half the year it's over here, going around the sun. So the sun sometimes appears above the celestial equator, and so it's gonna be higher in the sky. And then on the other side, the sun appears below the celestial equator and is lower in the sky, which is where we get the longer days in the summer as the sun is arcing through the sky, and the lower days, um, in the lower light days in the winter as it's going across the lower part of the sky. Um, as it's, what that would mean is as the sun goes from 
um, up above to down below. It does have to cross the celestial equator as it kind of makes its way through the sky. Um, and those points where it crosses the celestial equator are where you get the equinoxes. And so then the equinoxes are where you have equal night and day. Um, and um, that's where we get spring, and the first days of spring and fall. Um, so kind of putting that all together, again, you have, here's our celestial equator on its tilt. The sun is down here for the winter. It comes across the sky, passes this for the vernal equinox, which is our spring equinox rises up higher than the plane, and so then you have summer solstice, and then back as it crosses to the autumnal equinox. Um, this path that the sun crosses is called the ecliptic, and as it's going through, it's blocking out certain constellations along the way. As you can see, here's the sun. If the Earth is over here in September, the sun blocks out the constellation of Leo. As we're in May, it blocks out Aries, and as the Earth is going around, the sun is kind of moving through these constellations, and these are the 12 zodiac signs that you hear about in the newspaper with your horoscope and all of that fun stuff. Um, we're not going there. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that <laughs> on a different time. Um, but you do have this um, sense that the zodiac is important and the, these constellations actually have become um, important to measure the time of year when we didn't have clocks. Um, when things would be planted at a certain time, when the certain constellation comes up through the year. Um, so, any any questions so far? Yes. So, is the Jewish zodiac It is. There are. I haven't been able to find a good, like one-to-one -one map, but there are people um, that try to postulate that the twelve zodiac signs related to the twelve tribes of Israel. Um, but I don't know how those specifically map. And some of them, like we have the Greek zodiac signs, and we'll find, like, some of them are actually different creatures in the Middle Eastern constellations. So you have to kind of get out of the Greek constellations that we're so familiar with and start seeing them from different cultures. But some um, are not different? Not different. So Leo, the lot. That is, that is very. Um, yeah, there's a common thread with them, too. So Leo the lion is usually a lion in all cultures. Um, Taurus the bull is also a bull in most cultures and around that area. So some of them are the same. Some of them do shift perspective. So you can kind of see a connection going back through that time. Did it start yeah. in Babylon? That's what I thought the Zodiac was. Yes. Um, Babylon had their own Zodiac um, with that. Um, and d that's where they kind of divided it into the 12 um, days. And so we get our 12 numbering system with that. So, cool. Um, so recapping, we are standing on the earth at a nice height. Um, you have, yeah, this very exaggerated, right? Um, the North Star is over here, and everything kind of loops around the North Star. Um, as the sun's over here, it's higher in the sky, so it goes high up, kind of um, almost to zenith, but not where we are at. And then as it's lower in the sky, it rises and sets over here. Um, you have just everything is rising. So if we're, let's see, that way is east. So east, sun rises this way, sets this way. Um, sometimes the sun rises more northerly. Um, 
than east because it's in the summer. On the equinox, it's going to rise directly east, which kind of works with the way Father Martin does Easter vigil and the sun shining right through. Since like through our window, we get east and then goes um, south, more south of east um, during the winter um, as we go through that. Um, the moon also is helpful to know. Um, so the moon goes around the earth, earth goes around the sun. Um, as the sun is over here, the moon gets illuminated. The same side of the moon gets illuminated all the way around. But from our perspective, we only see from inside earth. So when the new moon is new, like all of it's illuminated on the backside, we only see the dark moon, um, which we can't really see. And then as it moves around this way, you get your waxing crescent. So we only see a little sliver of the moon illuminated. Over here, we see half the moon illuminated. And then you get a full moon um, and back again around to seeing most of it, half, and then sliver moon. Um, you can tell time by the moon. It's kind of fun. We were taught how to do that. Um, knowing what phase it's in and where it is in the sky, you can get a rough estimate of what time of night it is um, without any other things to help you. So um, that's kind of fun to do. Um, some people ask, like, if the moon is in front of the sun, every time it's a new moon and behind the earth, every time it's a new moon, why don't we have an eclipse every time the moon goes by? Um, so the moon is actually on its own five degree tilt from the plane of the earth. Um, so sometimes the moon is above the sun from our perspective or below um, the earth from our perspective. So the shadows don't quite line up as the earth is going around. But there are times during the year, twice a year in fact, that the plane of the earth lines up with the plane of the moon and now you have this direct like moon blocking earth or earth blocking the moon. And so every year you do get two um, eclipses, um, solar and lunar eclipses generally. So when people are freaking out that there's another solar eclipse, like, yes, they happen pretty regularly, twice a year. Um, it's just the location where they happen on Earth that is unique. Um, so because the Earth isn't always in the same spot at the same part of the year like that. So they'll be happening in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They'll be happening in Asia. Um, but when they do happen around us, that's fine. Um, and then it does kind of travel through. That's fine. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Don't freak out. It's, it's cool. Um, yeah, so you have the moon that way, um, helping us figure things out. Doing OK. Um, cultures from around the world have marked the stars. Um, Stonehenge is probably the most famous, that it rises at a certain point in the summer equinox, and they still do their um, celebrations with that. Um, generally, it was probably to mark they think it was to mark like the agrarian cycle. Um, there's some new evidence that it may be, there was like a Stonehenge and a Woodhenge and there was this like life and death thing between them. Um, but I'm not sure about that. Um, Egyptian pyramids are directed in such a way that they think they line up with the stars of Orion and the belt of Orion. Um, the angle of the pyramids actually is important that on a certain day um, of the year, the sun will rise up at that angle and kind of like follow the angle of the pyramid. So they were very, um, I don't know, architecturally advanced to like get the right angle that they wanted. And the fact that they are directly like north, south, east, west, like um, not like within minutes of a like degree. Um, 
that they found that out. And then in the southwest, this is Chaco Canyon um, that I got to visit. And even Native American, like this line is directly east-west, I believe, and they think it had an astronomical purpose that would guide them to the sun. When the sun is rising directly east, it's the equinox, so it's spring, and this is the time to do the harvest. Um, and this was also a major point of um, commerce and that there's been things found from the Mississippi Valley all the way down through Mexico. So they think there was like a major trade route through there and it was kind of the center of things, um, which is pretty cool. So all, like, all cultures have seen the stars. They've seen, they have their stories um, and have built structures to kind of read them as well. The one in the southwest, what year would that have been? Ooh, I think it was like 1300, um, somewhere in there. But I don't have that off the top of my head. Um, so someone asked about the Jewish calendar, um, how this all ties in. Um, in the Old Testament, the first month of the year was always connected with the vernal equinox. Um, so spring equinox, we can be thinking. And then Jewish months are lunar months. And so the first of each month lines up with the first appearance of um, the crescent moon. Um, so if we kind of go back, it's hard to, f you can't see the new moon. Um, but as soon as it's like over here and you start seeing a little sliver of the moon, that's when they would count day one of the month, um, which is important. Um, the moon has about a 29-ish day cycle, um, 28 and a half, I believe, um, or 29 and a half. And so dividing that, 28 divided by 2 is 14. Um, so when you have the first of the month, um, being there the 14th of the month would be a full moon. Um, so a lot of, like Passover, happens on the 14th day of Nisan. So it, Passover is usually a full moon festival. Um, day of Atonement is also like the 14th day of whatever. It's a full moon festival. And then you have the first days of the month that would be a new moon festival. So when Old Testament prophets are talking about their new moon and full moon festivals, like they're usually referencing the feast days um, that are important through there. Um, and so you have Passover lining up with Nisan around the vernal equinox, which is March-April. And then you have the Day of Atonement, um, which comes at the 14th day of Tish or 7th day of Tishri, which is around the end of September, September being the autumnal equinox and Nisan being the vernal equinox. Um, so there's that type of um, correlation going on. And this matters to us because of Easter. Um, so Nisan is the first month of the Jewish year. The crescent moon that is nearest the vernal equinox would begin the first of Nisan. Um, and then in Leviticus 23, in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Um, so Passover is the full moon festival after the spring equinox. Um, Jesus celebrated Passover the night before he died. Therefore, he rose on the Sunday after Passover, which is the first full moon after the spring equinox. And this is how we calculate Easter everywhere, every year still. Um, so you may have heard it, but this is where it kind of comes from. Um, Easter is calculated, the ecclesiastical day, so the actual vernal equinox is like on the 22nd. Sometimes it shifts to the 20th. The church has just mandated like, nope, it's the 21st is what we're going to call it every year. And so Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon, which is Passover, after the first day of spring. Um, and that's how we find it, and that's where it changes every year because of that. Um, there is a 
talk about trying to set Easter at the date of like the second Sunday in April every year to kind of make businesses easier. I find that offensive. Um, <laughs> mainly because it's astronomy um, and I enjoy having our Easter cycle still like determined by the motion of the planets and they have kind of a say in when Easter is going on. But also um, it connects us to our Jewish past as well. Um, so because Passover changes, um, like the Lord marked when Passover is, that should be very prominent for us as well, because Jesus being our Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. Um, so if that becomes a bigger deal, like we have to fight for that. <laughs> um, that's my thing. But still doing good? Yeah. Um, so that kind of takes us through um, where we are um, astronomically, hopefully helps with the setting. Astronomical setting of the church calendar comes out of this. And so we're going to be back at the appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah and why it's on September 23rd. Um, so it's connected to the autumnal equinox. Um, there is some speculation that Zechariah was going in during the Day of Atonement. That would have been his time um, to happen um, with his divisions. Um, not sure quite about that, but the church has put this on September 23rd, and so we're going to go with it on that level. Um, so um, Angel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah doesn't believe that his wife will conceive because they are old of age, and so he is struck mute um, until the time of his son being born. Um, and um, we have the Annunciation of John the Baptist. Um, so it's the conception of John. Related, to, it's close to the Day of Atonement, um, being in late September. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are old and barren. They're late in the season of life. They are Old Testament types um, because of the barrenness of Hannah, the barrenness of um, Sarah, um, those types of themes that come through. They're older. Um, and then God bringing forth um, a child to this old couple. Um, Zechariah doesn't believe and is struck mute, um, which is also like, the, they, it says the word of God was quiet in those days. Um, there's kind of that 400 years of silence um, that sometimes is talked about. And then just we have um, the close, this is the close of the age of the law, um, this beginning of the close of the age of the law. And so the law is seen as the laws of death, the new covenant is the covenant of life. Um, how that parallels with the autumnal equinox is you have the days are equal light and dark. And so you have this like time between times um, where things are shifting. Um, the fall of the leaves represents death and the, the old is passing away. We have the lateness of Zechariah and Elizabeth um, through that. And it's late in the season. Things have already done. And then as the animals settle down and the birds go away, you have the quietness um, that comes through that. And so the word of God being quiet um, in those days. Um, so then with from there, verse 26 in Luke 1 is in the sixth month after this happened, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee um, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name um, was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So six months after the autumnal equinox, 
is the vernal equinox, and around that, that's March 21st, and March 25th, you have the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary, um, six months later. So, um, and the parallels coming with that is the conception of Christ. He's the first voice of the new covenant, the beginning of the age of grace or of life, um, born to a young virgin. They think Mary was really young, probably too young to really be ready to have a child. Um, so you have Elizabeth being old for the Old Testament and Mary being young for new life in the New Testament. Um, so again, the days are equal light and dark. There's a shifting of, um, shifting of light happening there. And then spring is this idea of new growth and new life. It's early in the season, and you have this parallel to the beginning of the Age of Grace with that. Um, after Mary gets... Um, um, after Mary is announced to by Gabriel, um, she runs immediately to find her cousin Elizabeth, and it says that she stays there for three months um, in there. And so three months after the Annunciation, you get to June 24th, um, June 21st being the summer solstice, and June 24th being the nativity of John the Baptist, nine months after the autumnal equinox. So John's born nine months, it comes out that way. So we have the nativity of John the Baptist. His name is John. Zechariah starts to speak again. Um, and John is seen as um, the last voice of the Old Covenant. Jesus calls him, there's no prophet greater than John um, of the Old Covenant. He's the voice coming out in the wilderness or the heat and the desert. And so we have the heat of the summer um, happening with that. And then John says this idea of he must increase and I must decrease. So with the summer solstice in June 21st, um, June 24th is actually when our eyes can detect the change in the light. That's the longest day. So you have kind of three days where it feels the same, and then you start noticing the days getting shorter. So the days are getting shorter. John is there as the I must decrease. And so the light's getting shorter as that's going down <laughs> um, with that. Um, and then the summer just being hot and John being the voice in that heat and the wilderness for that. I know. I know. <laughs> we're just, we're gone. Um, so that is six months, um, or sorry, nine months after the autumnal equinox, three months after the Annunciation to Mary, nine months from Mary, or six months from John, you get the winter solstice on December 21st. A couple days later, we celebrate the nativity of Jesus at the winter solstice. And so there's a lot of like um, arguments about, oh, we just kind of like took over the pagan festival of the winter solstice, um, and now we celebrate Jesus' nativity there. But it, like, there's so much more to it than that, um, why we would want to place it there. Um, and so Jesus is born Six months later, you have the nativity of Jesus. Um, he's the first voice of the new covenant, as John is the last voice of the old covenant. Again, the voice of grace, the spotless lamb of God that will make you white as snow. Um, he must increase and I must decrease. So you have the winter solstice, which should say December 21st, not 25th. But December 25th is, again, when our eyes can detect the change in the light. So in that dark period, um, we start noticing the days getting brighter. Um, winter's snow covering all that is old and dead and bringing new life in spring. Um, and then the days start getting longer. So back to the he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus is at the winter's 
um, solstice where the days start getting brighter and we start seeing um, that moving forward. And then John is at the summer where the days start getting shorter. And so you have this like full um, yearly cycle with probably the two most prominent um, commemorated people because you have Jesus and then you have John. John is the only one we celebrate the birth of John um, in that. Um, unless you count Mary, there's the birth of Mary in Catholic things, but um, for that purpose. Um, bonus constellation, um, <laughs> just because it's cool. Um, Cygnus the Swan um, is also known as the Northern Cross. So you can use like the long neck of the swan. There's like wings that way and wings that way and the tail. Um, it's part of the summer triangle that you can see. Um, you can see it now um, if you go out at night. Um, but what's cool about this is it's known as the Northern Cross. And on Christmas at dusk um, in the Northwest, um, so I have this around like 9 o'clock or 8.30, um, the horizon is right there. Um, Cygnus the Swan or the Northern Cross is standing upright in the West setting. And so, like, on Christmas, you have the birth of Christ, but then in the sky, you have this, like, perfect upright cross in the west pointing the way ahead to what Jesus is going, what he's here for, um, pointing to the cross. So you have that, like, the stars mapping out that story as well. Yes? I'm just thinking that a lot of, you're talking about winter, snow, so on. What mm -hmm. happens if you're in the southern hemisphere? It does start to fall apart when you go south. Yeah, so Israel's still in the north, and like they have seen all of these things as well. But because the church has been more in the north, northern hemisphere, um, this does work out here for us. The seasons are flipped in the south, um, so they maybe they could come up with their own <laughs> church here if we want to. We don't have to be like northern. Um, we're better because we have the <laughs> sky on our side. But, um, yeah, I mean, they have the southern cross, too. I don't know how they could, like, yeah, I don't know how they could tie that in with their seasons. Um, but there are, the southern constellations are more recent, too. Um, when you look at them, they're actually, like, a lot more modern tools um, painted in the sky for that, and it's just because they didn't have names for them, and so they were just making new constellations when they were exploring the south. So, um, but it would be cool to go see, like, what were the Aboriginal constellations for that, and see if there's a connection there with that. Um, so, just kind of all in one conception of John at the autumnal equinox, you have the fall coming, old death themes, the close of the Old Covenant. And then you have the conception of Christ at the spring equinox, which is where you have resurrection, growth, and life, and the start of the New Covenant. The birth of John, I must decrease. Um, the heat of the wilderness, um, crying, voice crying out, the days getting shorter. And you have the birth of Christ, he must increase. And so the winter solstice, in the bleak midwinter, light starts to grow, kind of thing. So you have those four things going on. Um, We'll keep going if there's no questions. Um, there are other things going on on these days, if that's not mind-blowing enough. Um, <laughs> so each solstice and equinox is associated with one of the zodiac signs. Um, one gets blocked out by the sun, as you remember. Um, 
They are changed now because of the precession of the earth. So like we aren't always um, pointing in the same direction. We're not always going to point at the North Star. We kind of tilt like a top. Um, so it does change what we're seeing today. But then um, there's a cool connection here. So we have the spring equinox is associated with, um, now it's associated with Pisces. About 2000 BC, which is around the time of Abraham, um, the spring equinox would happen during Taurus the bull. Um, so you can see kind of the horns of the bull. Um, and then there's the Pleiades right there. If you've ever seen the Pleiades, that will become important later. Huh? The Pleiades? Um, there's the seven sisters, um, which there's six major stars there. There's always the loss of the seven sister. And like most, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so Taurus the bull um, is connected with the spring equinox. Summer solstice is now in Gemini, but then it was in Leo the lion. Um, I don't like how they draw this one. I Like here's the head obviously, but this is the body. I would draw a leg right there and a tail right there. Um, to kind of make, like it's already hard enough to like make constellations look like what they're trying to portray. Um, but like this doesn't help. <laughs> so like at least try. Um, yeah, none of them really. Like I can kind of see Taurus. I like, like I can see it. It's like a pitchfork thing. I don't know. The lion, sometimes I can see. Um, Scorpio, there we go, Scorpius, autumnal equinox. Now it's in Virgo, the virgin, connection there. Um, but then you have Scorpio. Interestingly enough, there's this guy, Sir Drummond, no idea who he is, but he sounds official. Um, <laughs> he asserted that the zodiac which patriarch Abraham knew, Scorpio was the eagle, um, which kind of works if you take this as the tail feathers of the eagle. And I'm sure you could like draw something else. I think it is better as a scorpion, but for our purpose. Um, if they saw it as an eagle back then, I think in Babylonian Middle Eastern, like they were the ones that saw it as an eagle. Um, and then the winter solstice is now in Sagittarius, the archer, but then 2,000 years ago, it was in Aquarius, the man. Um, so you have the bull, the lion, the eagle back then, and the man, which if we look to Ezekiel, um, and from the midst came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had human likeness, but each have had four faces. Each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Um, we, mimic, we mimic that in Revelation, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And so at the four junctions of our celestial sphere, the four corners, you have like images of the four living creatures around the earth, um, constantly cycling, constantly crying, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Um, because thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? So like with that connection too, they're still at the four points. They're not quite as connected to the autumnal equinox um, or the equinoxes and the solstices, but um, you do still have them at the four corners of um, the earth. Traditionally, these four have also been associated with the four gospels. Um, so Matthew being the man, John being the eagle, Luke being the ox, and Mark being the lion. And you see that in art all the time. 
and I was just in um, London over the summer, and we were at St. Paul's, and I couldn't find like up-close images of them what I wanted to, but even on the dome, you have the four gospel writers at like the four different corners of, um, and they have the symbol, as they're writing their gospel, they have their like animal with them, um, helping them to write in that spirit. Um, and then the other ones are the four um, major prophets kind of going around. So you do have this like idea of surrounding the throne of God, um, the four whole living creatures and the four gospels and the four um, points going on. So just a lot of layers with that. Um, so that's the um, summer or the solstices and the equinoxes. I did want to tie it to some other points of the church year, the main one being our festal day. Um, so back to the Pleiades. Um, you have in Job, canst thou bind the sweet influence of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Pleiades are mentioned twice in the scriptures, so they are prominent there. Oh, yes, sorry. Was there a question? Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, I will get to that, yeah. Um, that they weren't following those, but they were, there's a guy who, he has a movie out called The Star of Bethlehem, and it's a really good movie, and I would highly recommend it. Um, but that there is a lot of significance with Leo the lion and Jupiter, the king planet, um, kind of what was happening during the time around Jesus being born. If like they would have made a connection that king, a king was being born in the land of the lion, which would have been Judah, um, and so that's what caused them to set out, um, is kind of what he argues with that. Um, so there's that piece that can go deeper as well. Um, other questions? Um, so with the Pleiades, um, there's generally six stars of the Pleiades, even though most stories have seven-something, um, and that one always gets lost, um, or we don't know where they went, um, which is a very interesting connection. Pleiades are very prominent in most cultures around the world, but particularly that they are associated um, with um, a sense of, like, some impending doom that happened, and, like, they're the way to mark this commemoration. So William Tyler Olcott, who wrote this book on star lore that I use a lot, um, this, as quotes, this closely associated star group has from time immemorial impressed mankind with a sense of mystery. A great cataclysm, possibly the biblical <coughs> deluge, the flood, is in some way connected with the Pleiades, and some reference to such an event can be traced in many of the legends and myths surrounding these stars that have come down to us from nations far removed from each other. So looking at what nations kind of do that, um, first the biblical flood in the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, um, at the end of 150 days in the 10th month, um, 17th day of the 7th month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and this continued to the 10th month. Um, and so these months um, for this time period are around September, October, December, as counted by the Hebrew calendar um, of old. Um, and the 
number 17 is interesting as well, as we will see with um, some cultures. But first, in the Talmud, um, there's a curious legend. Um, when the Holy One, blessed be he, wished to bring the deluge upon the world, he took two stars out of the Pleiades and thus let the deluge loose. Um, and when he wished to arrest it, he took two stars out of Arcturus and stopped it. So you have this loss of stars in the Pleiades um, that are somehow connected with the flood um, going on with that. Um, in other cultures, you have um, Mexican Day of the Dead, which has been somewhat Christianized. Um, but even when they were found, found them, they would regularly celebrate it on the 17th of their month of November, um, which is where kind of weird that it was the seven. A lot of cultures like have that 17 in them. Um, began at sunset and at midnight, and the comp and that the Pleiades approached the zenith. So when the Pleiades was highest in the sky, they would celebrate their Day of the Dead, um, and they would offer a human sacrifice to avert the dread calamity which they believe impended over the human race. Um, they were worried that the world had been destroyed and that it was going to be destroyed again unless they offered this sacrifice. But it's like the Pleiades would mark that time for them, um, and then they would remember those that died. Um, Incan had a similar festival and they would send boys running down the hills like with certain um, spiritual objects to ward off the impending doom um, during their day, the Memorial Day of the Dead celebration. Um, the Bronze Age people of Europe such as the Celts, um, the Pleiades were associated with mourning and with funerals since at that time in history um, there was a festival devoted to remembrance of the dead, and as the sun's light faded in the evening, the cluster rose like tears um, from the other side, so like still at the opposite ends, so when the sun's at midnight, the Pleiades would be highest in the sky, um, and so they would celebrate their festival of the dead that time too. Um, he does mention other, like a Hindu culture um, and a Japanese um, festival of lanterns. I tried to research those and couldn't find like things that confirmed that, so I didn't include them. Um, the scientist in me was like, no, I want proof before I start speaking about these things. <laughs> um, so, but they're, like, he tries to map it to other, like all over the world, these cultures. And so how that comes down to us is we have our own three-day festival of the dead in some sense. Um, maybe a festival of the living, if you want to call it, um, in November when Pleiades is prominent and in the sky, like highest in the sky at midnight. Um, this happens today around November 1st. Um, so we have October 31st as All Hallows' Eve, November 1st as All Saints' Day, and November 2nd as All Souls' Day, um, which is our patron festival. Um, so you, we, like, we still have received this sort of thing um, in the church and commemorate commemorate it, but it's, I just find it interesting that like November 1st was chosen in reference to the Pleiades, and like there is that connection there that all cultures kind of have, um, or most cultures kind of have, and so it's kind of connected to the flood, regulated by the Pleiades, and we can still celebrate it when that is prominent in the sky. Um, so that kind of gives us also an astronomical tie to our patron festival. Um, we can have a midnight festival. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a couple other bonus constellations that I do with um, at camp. 
So there's just so much gospel imagery in the stars, even within the Greek um, constellations. Um, you have Hercules um, in the sky. He kind of makes this bow tie sort of thing. Um, and Draco the dragon's right under him, or Draco the snake. And Hercules is always like crushing the head of Draco, um, which is just this gospel imagery of Genesis 3 of like, he will strike your heel and you will crush his head. Um, and Hercules is always seen holding, in like ancient um, drawings, he's always holding an apple branch or a branch from an apple tree, which kind of just also adds to the whole Adam, like man um, fighting the serpent um, going on. Um, so there's that connection. Um, also, there is a constellation known as Bootes. Um, Arcturus is prominent for him, um, which is mentioned previously. So he is seen as the shepherd boy. Um, and you can kind of make out with, this is Corona Borealis, which is a crown. But in the sky, I can see like the, this shepherd's staff kind of like tied around um, or what looks like a bishop's crook. Um, so, but you have this shepherd boy and you have this crown, and there's a snake who's being wrestled by Ophiuchus, but the snake is trying to snatch the crown away from the shepherd boy. And so, like, there's that gospel imagery in the sky as well going on. Yes? Is there a time for these? Because my connection to the rest of Hercules and the planets is going to, like, St. Michael. Oh, okay. In Revelation, you know, he's, he's Yes. Um, these happen prominently in the summer. Um, but I think you can still, you might be able to still see them setting at this point. Um, but Arcturus, whenever I see Arcturus, like that comes out in the spring. And like whenever I saw it in the sky, it's a very bright star. It's one of the brighter ones. Um, but that would always like clue me into spring is happening, like summer's almost here. And like just this feeling that the sky was like announcing the coming of summer. So they're more summer constellations than not. Um, and so I did want to put a plug for the Star of Bethlehem movie if you wanted to look it up. Um, he's a lawyer that kind of goes through and looks for the star. And I think he does a pretty good job, like whether you like agree with him at the end, I, he does offer a compelling case. And everything that he talks about, I have looked through astronomy software and found what he found. So there is this cool connection, but he kind of ties it with um, Leo the lion and Jupiter and what would send the wise men out. Um, he also sees the moon. There's like the moon rising at the foot of Virgo the virgin in the sky when she is like, the sun is in Virgo the virgin. So you have the woman clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet in Revelation. Um, it would have been a crescent moon coming up at the time of Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about um, the crucifixion, and there's two general dates. Um, people think the crucifixion happened in April, or April of 30 AD and April of 33 AD um, are the two ones that fit. But he argues for 33 AD because at around 3 o'clock, um, the moon is back at Virgo the Virgin. It's a full moon, and it's a lunar eclipse that rises, like at 3 o'clock when Jesus would be dying. Um, so like he kind of connects that astronomically as well. And then there's like a bonus video where if you were sitting during that lunar eclipse, if you were sitting on the moon, um, the earth would be blocking the sun and the sun would be in Aries the ram. Um, 
And so as the earth is eclipsing the sun, blocking out the sun of the lamb, like kind of like putting out the light as Jesus is dying. Um, so there's like that sort of imagery going on as well um, with that. But it's a really good movie. I would recommend finding it. Um, if you need a link to go to, I can give you that. Um, and then just citation, like this is the book that kind of had all the myths, legends, and facts. Um, he goes beyond the Greek um, myths in all of his constellations. He doesn't cite anything, which is kind of frustrating. I think it's a really old book, and so it was before like research was well done. <laughs> um, and so that's why I ha like sp you spend a lot of time trying to find like, is this true? What are you quoting from? I don't even know. Um, but some of the things that I have found have cross-connected, and that's kind of where I came up with sharing a lot of this today. Um, so that is all I have prepared <laughs> um, for you. If there are any final questions, or um, I think we're almost out of time. So. What a feast. Thank you. Thank you.